Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast uh, World Cup Daily in Russia, live from Moscow. Well, it's not technically live, we're recording, but uh, I'm Ed Malian, as ever, sports editor of The Independent. This is day three of the World Cup proper, and I'm joined by two people today, uh, to my right, as he has been for the last couple of days, uh, is our Northern Football correspondent, Mark Critchley. Hello, Ed. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Well, as ever, um, I've been with you all day, so we know exactly how each other are. <laughs> However, we have a special guest on, who sorry. I, I uh, didn't even realise he was flying into Moscow today. But I am delighted to have sat alongside me, none other than Chief Sports writer Jonathan Lou. Hi, how's it going? Well, all the better for seeing you here. Um, a late arrival to the World Cup, but nonetheless, you're here now until the World Cup final. Uh, how's it been? Look, have you been presumably watching at home, and and what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I've been I've been watching the first couple of days on telly. Uh, went, to, went to see Spain Portugal in um, Flat Iron Square in London Bridge last night. It was a massive queue, so we couldn't get in. Um, so it, it was it was um, it's been a really kind of uh, entertaining tournament. We've not not had a nil nil yet, uh, and it, it seems like a lot of you know most teams have, have come here to play. And it, it, what we're already eight games in, which which feels ridiculous considering we only started a couple of days ago. But yeah, it's um it's really hurtling by. Um, you were on a flight today, so you missed what you missed the first two games of the day. Yeah. Um, the first of, of which was was France against Australia. The second of which was Argentina Iceland, which um you and I were at Critch, and probably where we should start because it's the biggest story of the day. Um, Argentina won, Iceland won. Uh, Argentina going ahead through Sergio Aguero's goal and then an equaliser from Alfred Finbogason. Uh probably a you know a deserved equaliser at the time I thought it was kind of evenish first half second half Argentina were the better side um Lionel Messi wins a not he didn't win the penalty uh Maxi Mezzo won the penalty Lionel Messi steps up to take it and has it saved by Hannes Haldorsen and uh, it ends up being a one-all draw, despite Argentina kind of throwing everything at Iceland at the end. Uh, an incredible atmosphere. Loads of visiting fans, Argentinians and, and Icelandic alike. More Argentinians, but uh, a great atmosphere. Terrific game. Kind of what your immediate thoughts on it, Rich? Um I thought that all the kind of uh, fears that we had about Argentina kind of came to pass. Um, still doesn't look like there's a, a a coherent, cohesive system in place. Still looks like they concentrate, uh, they they re- they rely too much on Messi. Um, my own uh, reading of the game was kind of affected by the fact that my whole piece was based around Messi's first ten minutes, which I watched intently, fully concentrated on, and then tried to make sense of some notes that I'd made afterwards. But I mean. You know, even like in the in the second half, you you say Argentina were the better side. I think they were just the more dominant side, and Iceland were perfectly comfortable with allowing them to do that. I was in the press conference afterwards, and the manager, who is a dentist by the way, in case anyone <laughs> hadn't hadn't heard about that yet, um, he he was asked whether his players enjoy this kind of like test for ninety minutes, and he's and he was like, you know what? Yeah, I think they actually do, because this is what they train for. This is what they build the whole game around, and like there wasn't. You, you know Argentina was certainly the better side and if one side was going to win it it was going to be them but you would never say that Iceland really looked particularly uncomfortable 
Um, only really when Messi was standing over the spot kick did you think, OK, well, Argentina have won it now, I suppose. And it turned out they hadn't. So going forward, I mean, that really turns what we already had kind of had down as the group of death into a real challenge for Argentina. It was an interesting one. I mean, they, they should have had a penalty. Christian Pavon, who came on for Di Maria and, and did more in a couple of minutes than Di Maria had done his whole time on the pitch, was fouled in the box and, and it wasn't given inexplicably on a day where the video assisted refereeing was all over the place. You know, we saw a lot of it today. I think I can make that explicable though because I've been reading up on the VAR rules. As okay, right. So, so, what, so what I saw was Pavon does a little move, beats the man, like knocks the ball past the man. Yeah. Uh, the guy dangles a foot out, trips the, trips the winger and the ball goes, it went out. The ref gives a goal kick. So... The ref obviously doesn't think the defender's got a touch on it. Mm. So he has to think it's a dive, presumably. He doesn't punish a dive. Um, but, but with that, I mean, you can, you can tackle someone. Right, and, no, and it, I, I agree with that. But, foul but, dive, but the problem is that he did, he did foul him. Um, yeah. You know, and we, we watched it on replay. And I thought it was a foul at the time. I thought it was a foul at the time. Um, and then we watched the replay and it looks a foul there. So why? So explain why uh, that hasn't gone upstairs. Well, uh, it it will have everything seen upstairs by the VAR officials. Um, it's it's again like we can't completely outrule subjectivity. So what happened basically was that a VAR official looked at that and thought there's no penalty there. So he doesn't refer it to the referee, and so the referee doesn't know, and so no review takes place now I think it was a penalty I think everybody agreed it was a penalty but like the the person the ref, firstly the, the referee the man who counts didn't think it was and now the new second man who's in a referee's kit as well somewhere in Moscow watching on a TV screen didn't think it was one either so that's how that's how it's not given okay I, mean, I don't want to dwell on it too much because I don't think VAR was the big takeaway from this game no not really um, Critch's piece on, on Messi that, that came from what we can only describe as a visual stalking of his movements today uh, is very good. You should go... Yes, no, if anything, slightly disturbing. Um, you should go online and read that uh, in the usual place, independent.co.uk slash football, um, <laughs> if you're feeling a bit weird and stalkery. Um, but really good piece. Um, the the big thing for me, you know, Iceland... The, you're talking to the players afterwards, actually. Very, I mean, very humble very humble people there Gilpie Sigurdsson said he thought they were lucky really Argentina had more than enough chances to win and they just kept throwing their bodies in front of it and hoping to, to block it you know the, the most important body of those was Hannes Hallorsen who uh, you know and, and I, I like to think this might be a watershed moment because he was the guy um, who was the, the film director the guy who directed the Eurovision video in, in 2012 and did the Coca-Cola advert for this World Cup I think someone said but he's not that guy anymore. He's now the guy who saved the penalty from Lionel Messi in the World Cup. So we might be at the point where we can move on from the, the sort of twee day job sort of stuff with Iceland and be like, well, these guys are professional footballers who've done it on the biggest stage, you know, World Cup and European Championships now, where they held Portugal in that opening game, uh, 1-1, wasn't it? Um, the same as result as yeah. today. And, and they knocked England out. So, you know... It, it, we know how incredible an achievement it is just purely from the size of the country and, and they've done a great job and I, I just think they're almost still being patronised where I think they're, they're almost beyond that point now and they are so good because they just 
focus on the things they're really good at. And Argentina didn't do that. Um, and, and more specifically, Jorge Sampaoli, who I think what he has been successful at in the past, what he's been really good at is he had a, a good system that got the best out of fairly average players and made them play better than they actually were. And he's compromised on the system that he always uses to try and get the best out of Messi. And he's not getting the best out of Messi and he's not making the average players better. So, I mean, what do you do in that situation? It's, it's disappointing, really. It's like, you know, we've seen Bielsa go to Leeds this week and, and everybody expects him to play the, the Bielsa way. It'd be very, very disappointing if he suddenly went, you know, 4 4 2 with, with, with a big man up top. It's. Um, I, I didn't see the game, but having seen you know, a little bit of them before the tournament, they're, they're a flawed side. Um, I, I liked your tweets about how they, they kind of they, their attack was kind of like their their culture in, in that it was really vibrant and, and their defence was like their economy it was prone to immediate collapse um, that was quite funny um, and a, I, a rare one just the rare one hits yeah, but, yeah. But, you know it, it's, there's gold in them hills <laughs> it's it, the defence was 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 farcically like you know that first five minutes when um when Marcus Rojo just gets beaten by a simple long ball, and then on the next kind of the next sequence of play, just passes the ball across the six-yard box. Caballero screws it up, and Big could be honest and should have should have put uh, ice on level at that point. Well, they've I, been they've been thrown into a goalkeeping crisis by not having Sergio Romero fit. I think you know that says a lot about it's damning. It's damning. The three guys they've got with them are pretty much all the same level, um, but. If you're going to try and dominate games, you need a keeper who can play the ball. And what they've done is they pick the guy who's probably the best overall goalkeeper in terms of like when you weigh everything up. But Caballero is a good shot stopper who's not that great with the ball at his feet. What I, mean, what I will say is it is far, far too early to write them off. And being you know, a flawed team as they are, it, it, this is a tournament full of them uh-huh. in, in a way. Having not seen Germany or, or Brazil or indeed England play, uh, just a little joke there. Um, we haven't seen a great team yet this tournament, and so it, it's quite possible that that Argentina you, you can't ever you can't ever write off a team with with that sort of talent in it, and you, you can't ever write off a team that that, that starts slowly because plenty of champions have done it in the past. Yeah, and and it was almost certain they were going to start slowly because they've had such as I said, apart from Spain, they've had by far the worst tournament preparation. You know, the two friendlies they had one was against Haiti. Um, which was a swiftly rearranged one when they're supposed to play against Nicaragua. And the second one was the one that was cancelled in Israel. So they have not had the best preparation. Um, they've lost a couple of players through injury, uh, which is obviously a, you know, a, a great shame. But they, they've got a lot to, they've, got a, they've got a long way to go. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I think starting slowly is actually probably to be expected. And you know, we know Iceland are good. We know Iceland are solid. Iceland will frustrate every team they play against I think just because they're very tough to break down the thing about Icelanders I mean I went out there a couple of years ago to do a feature you know the, the sort of features that, that you've probably read a dozen times over now um, and one thing that's kind of struck me is that for all Cristiano Ronaldo talked about their kind of small mentality Icelanders are actually very they're kind of cocky they're, there's an arrogance to them uh, in, in, and that's kind of what has allowed them to, to punch above their weight I mean it's not actually just football in which they they, they have uh, you know they've, they've won I think uh, like ice is it ice hockey or, or fencing or you know, they've, they've won like medals on, on handball they're good at handball a handball they're good at handball uh, you know 
they're always kind of um, you know they've got, they've got poets and artists and and musicians and they've for for such a, a small country that they don't get overawed by what what should be a massive disparity in size and 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 strength. So you know they're not going to get phased by you know whether it's Ronaldo in in the Euros whether it's Messi here. Uh, they they'll, they'll stand up to it. they'll stand up to them. Did you see the um, the quotation in the Wall Street Journal from the manager? about not having been in a war yeah they've only been in card wars they've never hurt anybody you can't but lovers and I just read that and I thought god I want you to lose 8-0 yeah. there's a I, sort of knowingness there they, they, they're not stupid they know why we're all interested in them they know why like, all the Americans are kind of uh, have this sort of tournament loving they're, they're, they're quite cannily playing this sort of everybody's second team card and, and you know and pulling it off quite well and Gilfie said that afterwards he said um you know, like it's it's the media that talks about the the coach being a dentist and the goalkeeper being a director and all this sort of stuff. It, it's not us. You know, we know we know each other. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, Birke Bjarnason, who the the most Viking looking man of all time, uh, said uh, that now is not the time to speak too much because teams get eliminated with one point, and it's true. You know, they don't want to get too far Croatia and Nigeria are, are both decent teams and they're both I mean th- this is a very difficult group it's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out uh, but Iceland have got a chance of, of progression uh, obviously now Argentina I think um, are still as I say I've got faith that they will come good but he's going to need to make some changes to that team and I think Pavana's actually got to be in the, the mix to start I think Benega has to play ahead of Biglia based on what we saw today um, and I wonder. I doubt he. I doubt he will switch the keeper. But Franco Armani might be better uh, than Caballero going forward. So we'll see what they do there. Anything else to say on that game before we move on? I think France probably the next game to talk about. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Um, so you did you missed this completely, Johnny. Um, you were somewhere over the Netherlands, probably at that point. Yeah, uh, hoping, hoping I, did, I didn't get shot down by a, by kind of a revenge Ukrainian missile. Uh, we can't put that in, can we? Don't you? Yeah, we could, uh, I mean, we can it's a lot of work to edit that out, so um, we'll just take the risk. Uh, I was with you, Critch. We, we were watching that game, and... The VAR thing was, was the big thing, I guess. Uh, so Griezmann goes down. It's nil-nil. Australia are kind of frustrated France a bit. And your initial thought was? Uh, my initial thought, uh, what, seeing it live? Yeah, seeing, yeah, seeing yeah. The live, um, seeing it live, I, I 
yeah, I suppose you're never really sure when you see it live nowadays because we've learned to kind of trust the replays, haven't we? So, but I, I didn't think it was a penalty seeing it live. I think um, several replays later, especially on the follow through, I don't think you can really argue with it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I thought I thought it was it, I thought it looked a pen live, but then you have the doubt when you're looking at the the replays, and I kind of talked myself out of it. Yeah, um, we were talking to people in the in the media center there, and. and there was, you know, there was a bit of confusion because it, it's the, it was the first decision I've seen where it, it really goes back and because play had continued, that was the thing. Play had continued and then the guys in the booth are, are reviewing it, reviewing it, reviewing it. Referee gives the penalty. Grisou steps up, smashes it home, uh, 1-0. But then Australia win a penalty, which was just bizarre. Yes, um, Samuel and Titi trying to like slam dunk the ball, not quite even catching it. Uh, that's the one you're referring to. That is the yeah. only penalty. And he's been and he's been laughing about it since, but it, he wouldn't be laughing if they'd drawn that game one all because it was so stupid. And Australia didn't really pose much of a threat outside that penalty and then like the last five minutes where they kind of got near the penalty area of mm. France. Um Mila Jednak, a wonderful colossus of a man, smashed that home. And then a, another weird goal, goal line technology this time coming in, Paul Pogba's deflected strike going in to make it 2-1 but rather than just kind of commentating on the random stuff that happened what do you actually make of France because once again I thought they were pretty kind of stale yeah I think stale is a good word to describe it actually um, yeah like we said yesterday didn't we that we had doubts about Deschamps and even though there's so much quality throughout the squad uh, that that doesn't really count if, if your manager doesn't set you up in the, in the correct way Um when it was 1-1 and when they were looking like they might drop two points um, his first his first kind of reaction was to throw Olivier Giroud on and I, I, I think there's almost nothing wrong with that because of how well Olivier Giroud's done for France but it, it says everything that he's their plan B and that Deschamps doesn't have any real other ideas of how to get out of a, out of a result like that um, ultimately I think uh, we have to we have to pay some credit to Paul Pogba because I actually thought today first half as well like he's he had that kind of impact on a game where you know all all France's best play was going through him and it's not always obvious and it's not always explicit but when it isn't people people tend to criticize him and tend to you know pick holes in his performance but then today I mean he's come up with the goal in the end and you know although there was only a few inches in it he's won them the game and I, I think he deserves a little bit of credit as well but again like we can turn that back to Deschamps and say he's having to rely on a star player to put in a, a good performance every now and again to dig him out of a hole well as Miguel likes to say sometimes a few inches is enough um, I think the, the the France team today were very stale I think we've got Pogba possible in terms of I just trusted him more today I trusted him and sometimes you can't trust him in that team I thought Deschamps' substitutions were as clueless as he is as a coach. I think he's he is just a disaster. Um, like th- just throwing on kind of, it's almost like he looks at the bench and just like who kind of who's smiling the most and just tosses them on there. It's just absolute just lottery. It, it would be absolute absolutely criminal if Deschamps doesn't get this France team at least to the, the last four, probably the final. If I mean. The, the, to squander the, the amount of talent that they've got which 
which you know, there's there's every every possibility that Deshaun will do because I think we all, we're all agreed he's a pretty limited manager. I, it's, I don't know. It's just there's something that, that seems so kind of out of kilter about it that you've got this. It's kind of like having you know uh, like Jimmy Page and Keith Moon and Flea in like this super band, and you've got like Dane Bowers on vocals. It's just it just it just something. Seems You're like, out of your mind. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad yeah, someone no, got that no, reference. No, I'm glad someone got that reference. No, I, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got the reference. I was just kind of dumbfounded, momentarily stunned into silence, which, which is rare. Uh, sorry, uh, it was bugging me. Um, oh God! Yeah, oh, God. God. you didn't think anyone would have this many Dane Bowers references, but but they're no, just there. But you've got to another level. <laughs> God, all the foreign listeners are not going to know what the hell's going on. Um, yeah, bad day for Australia. Lost at the rugby, lost at the cricket, lost at the football. Um, Crimea River on that one. Uh, they are going to be bottom of that group. But having watched Peru, Denmark, you know it's, it's going to be an interesting little battle to see which two teams go through. Denmark did ultimately win uh, that game one nil. We we caught that right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love Peru. Uh, everyone loves Peru. Can I, just, right? can I just put it on record? We've got a recording device here. I I, I love Peru. Hook, hook <laughs> it, hook it up to my veins, mainline it into my eyeballs. I am now, uh, I'm now in the market for Peru, Peruvian, and all Peru branded products. Um, please, please inquire within. Great country, great people, and they've travelled here in enormous numbers. Uh, their first World Cup in 36 years. Uh, like you know, you've probably heard all the stories uh, about. Uh, the World Cup sticker albums that, that Panini greatly underestimated the demand in Peru and there were kind of riots when shops were selling out uh, one of the Peruvians Daniel Aquino bought um, a Panini album and didn't find his face in there and immediately rang coach Ricardo Gareca to ask why he'd been dropped it turns out they've only got space for 18 for each country um, really like brilliant brilliant country brilliant story like even the Paolo Guerrero thing where uh, the <laughs> tested positive for cocaine I managed to convince the the authorities via the Court of Arbitration for Sport that it was some sort of contaminated tea product. Um, means that he's at the World Cup and he's been fighting hard for Peru for 14 years or so. And uh, he gets to go to the World Cup. I don't, they didn't get a start today, which is a shame because I think he would have actually given them a bit extra. But they had a load of chances against Denmark who were a little bit suspect at the back. Um, but ultimately scored. It was a nice finish from Yusuf Paulson. Great ball from Christian Eriksen. Lovely finish, I thought. Um, but it really just proved wastefulness stood out more than anything else. Uh, how that game wasn't drawn in the end, and, and you worry whether that's going to cost them later on. Um, again, like in that group, you would fancy France and Denmark to go through. So, but uh, have, have we heard the best Peru story of the weekend? Um, well, if I haven't just said it, then no. Well, okay. So, did you hear about the fan that tried to put on twenty-four kilograms of weight in order to qualify for one of the easy? Uh, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, Stuart James's story in the Guardian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. excellent. Uh, I mean, brilliant. Uh, fair play to him. It's a lot of commitment to the cause. Um, Hang on. So why? Why? Why did he put on twenty-four? Because so, he was worried he wouldn't get a ticket. Essentially. It's to do with uh, the disabled restricted access seats. Basically, you have to be a certain weight to to qualify uh, to be like kind of registered disabled or whatever. I guess. Um, and he had to put twenty four twenty four kilos is a lot of weight. It's the Homer Simpson uh, episode. It's where, Simpson. Yeah, yeah, it's the Homer Simpson episode. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, where you you have to wipe something on a napkin, and if it if it goes transparent, that's the window to weight gain. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, so. Peru, yeah, they brought loads of numbers here and 
yeah, they're always they always felt like they could be the neutrals team, and I think just watching them once, and the way they played, it was that kind of joyous like, my God, we're at the bloody World Cup, and we're going to go for it. So I think Christian Cueva was was, was great. Unfortunately, that penalty was uh, yeah. not so great. I mean, it's, it's some of the best football that I've seen from anybody at this World Cup so far. I, I was reminded of you know Costa Rica four years ago, and um, you know, and, and Chile as well, I guess a little bit. Just the way they they came at you, and I, I, I guess if you're a neutral, if you if you don't watch a huge amount of international football, if if, if like the World Cup every four years is your thing, you you'll watch that Peru side and think, why can't? Everybody play like that, and of course, you know we know that the reason is that you need to be incredibly well drilled. They're an incredibly tight unit. They, they've had a very settled side for you know the last twenty four, forty eight months. And so, producing that sort of free flowing, kind of intuitive football uh, is is not easy. Um, and you know it was a joy to watch. Uh, unfortunately, yes, they missed a penalty and they lost. But that's kind of unhappy footnote to the. Well, yeah, you know, and sometimes nice guys finish last, and, and that might be the case with Peru. But I think they've got a chance because if they beat Australia, I think they could take something off France. I like to believe that they could take something off France, and I also think other pe- other people will take something off France. So, uh, you know, if Australia become the, the group whipping boys, then it might suit Peru. Uh, so fingers, crossed, I don't know. It is difficult. The maths are difficult because Denmark have got that three points, and if if Denmark beat Australia, they're pretty much through, aren't they? But I don't know. We'll see. Um, anything else you'd like to to add on the Danes? Um, it wasn't as convincing a performance as that. No, no, if I'm, if you if you had them down as your dark horses, you're not necessarily enjoying that so much. I've got, I've got nothing to say about Denmark. Critch. Uh... Everything's going to go through Christian Eriksen, isn't it? I mean, that, that is literally... You could have said that without watching the game. Well, I almost didn't watch the game. Fact, <laughs> okay. fact, I caught the last 10 minutes. Okay. In that case, uh, I'll let you off. Uh, so, yeah, that, you know, that's going to be an interesting group. Uh, we will talk about Croatia and Nigeria in a little bit. Just wanted to look ahead to tomorrow's games, which are... There's some other quite interesting ones. Uh, I think the most interesting for for a lot of people will be the the late game, which is Brazil kicking off their campaign. Right. So have you seen? Have you got the, the kind of the, the latest media update from FIFA? I haven't, but right. tell me about it. So they've listed tomorrow's games. Brazil is game nine, even though it's the last game, and the other two are games ten and eleven. Where's the logic there? One of those questions. I, I mean, especially disappointing from the Swiss, to be honest. You know, you'd expect better from them. Mm. Um, but, you know, on, on a more, say, footballing note, what do we expect out of Brazil? We would like to see the Brazil that everybody says this, this Brazil side can be. We would, I mean, we don't want, you know, we're not necessarily going to see the finished article. You want to see them click. You want to see a few sparks. You want to see uh, a sense that, you know, they, they, know what, they know what to do. They know, they know what they're doing here, which four years ago when it, they completely lost the plot and it, even though you know they, they, they did keep winning there was a sort of a collective mania that, that just seemed to set in like, like, like damp do you not want to and, see them lose the plot and that collective mania again oh gosh that's a good question actually Is it, uh, I mean do, do, do we yeah I think, I think it would be interesting but what I most would like to see is I'd like to see a good team with a statement performance at some point a good team just come in and like you know, really sweep another team aside. Yeah, but England play on Monday, so... Uh, well, yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I mean, many people, I'm sure, would argue that, that Russia have already, already done that with their, their thumping win. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I think this Brazil team are very good. I, I've said that multiple times. Um, uh, I think they're probably going to win it in the end. But there's also a chance... I know Germany haven't got an easy game against Mexico tomorrow. That's what uh, the game that you and I are going to be at, Critch, at the Luzhniki. Because Mexico are the great underachievers of of world football they are a nation that is obsessed by football they've got a huge population they've got a strong domestic league they've got loads of money um, they're slightly weakened I think by the slight insularity and the fact that you know they haven't got good nations to play against at a club level in terms of the, the CONCACAF Champions League is, is terrible um, haven't they, haven't they like made the last 16 something ridiculous like 7 or 8 times in a row but never got beyond but they've never got beyond that yeah so I'd like to see Mexico do something good but I also think there is this there's this little kind of bug inside my mind that says Mexico are going to be a little bit exciting and a little bit explosive and then Germany just going to pick them off and win 4-0 yeah I, I, I think I think I, I kind of fear for Mexico a little bit in the group because my dark horse is for the tournament or at least for it sounds daft saying the tournament but um, with Sweden who are in the same group as them uh, uh, because just because Sweden are quite, they play on Monday against South Korea, but they're they're quite disciplined, uh, well drilled, and like we keep saying, uh, we keep repeating the line. That's what it takes in this tournament, and I I, I just don't see that from the Mexico team. What do you like about Sweden uh, particularly? I mean, uh, I saw you put Ludwig Augustinsson in your in your fantasy team. Yes, but you saw what influenced my decision. Uh, yeah, yeah no, fair enough. It wasn't. It? No, uh, fair enough. But Sweden are, I think, mean, you know, with, without Zlatan, they've some some people have said been a, a bit a little bit better. It's kind of the what Bill Simmons in basketball calls the Ewing theory, where you take away the the most important player and the biggest piece, and and kind of all the other players raise their level because they feel they have to to make up for the the difference there. But Sweden may not have the obvious stars, but they're well coached they should beat South Korea so then it's pretty much Sweden-Mexico for, for second in, in that group you'd say yeah I would say so and like I said I think Sweden are gonna, I just Sweden are going to get it I think what impressed me most was actually their playoffs against Italy who I didn't think Italy were they had a very poor manager but I don't think they were a particularly poor side and they kind of got unlucky with the qualification draw being in Spain's group um, but Sweden really just kind of controlled those two legs and like I say that's the kind of Discipline, well-drilled performance that's going to take you far in this competition. Thing is, if they finish second, I think I'm right in saying they'll play first in Group E, and that's probably going to be Brazil, and that's everyone's favourite. So, um, you know, not much chance of progressing there. Um, Brazil v Sweden, 1952 World Cup final. 58. 58. 58. 5, 5, 2. 5, 2. 5 2. So um, that was Pele's first World Cup at mm. 17 years old. Um, Brazil, Sweden, yeah, would be interesting. I think Brazil, Brazil should, should they should mow through that group. But our predictions have been so bad this tournament so far um, that you almost kind of want to go against it. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that, that Germany walk that group. I mean, if if they if they get a slow start, which which you know is, is entirely possible, their their entire game is is essentially based on on kind of using their like 17 attacking midfielders to try and you know drag teams out of position and you, you 
if the Mexican team is anything like the Mexican teams that we've come to know over, over the years, they're generally pretty well organised. And uh, they're in a group that, you know, Sweden, Sweden as well, very well organised. Um, they're, they're in a group that they're not, they're not necessarily going to breeze through. There's not gonna, you're not going to get sort of 4-1s and 5-0s and it's, it's not going to be like a, a knockabout group, I don't think. Um, Germany, you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Germany, South Korea, Germany, South Korea. Uh, I could see them. I could see them putting a few past South Korea. Um, I watched one South Korea friendly. Uh, I was trying to prepare on teams. I really was desperately trying to watch friendly games before, and it, it's really hard to try and fit them in. But I did watch South Korea, and it, I just didn't think they were that. Good. Oh, oh there's a penalty. There's a penalty. We did Croatia. Little spoiler: We are watching Croatia Nigeria uh, in the background. Uh, just because just cause Johnny needs to go to bed basically because he, he's tired um, and he only arrived uh, recently so Croatia 1-0 up and it looks like they could go 2-0 up here with a penalty Mario Mandzukic his header was def- that was an own goal wasn't it the first goal yeah it was let's be honest oh he's given a, he's given a lovely hug there yeah I think, but it's a penalty right because it, it, both arms all over him and he Mandzukic can't do anything can't even jump isn't it funny that the people listening to this will know whether this penalty's been scored or not and we don't <laughs> again it's time travel it's time travel it's, it's amazing to think that we are bending the space time continuum in every podcast we do uh, but Croatia haven't been that great though what, what have you thought of Croatia so far you know we've been watching on and off I think they've been they've been fairly comfortable actually I mean they've not had a huge amount of the ball but I don't think I mean Nigeria haven't really looked that threatening it might be the best supported European side I've seen so far Croatia in terms of travelling fans I know it's easier to get to Kaliningrad um, than it is to get well to mainland Russia and beyond especially if you're going to like Yekaterinburg or wherever um, but it has been a, a sort of theme I'm probably going to write about this later in the week I think um, that so many Europeans have snubbed this competition but the South Americans have come over in, in tens of hundreds of thousands possibly uh, well that's certainly been the case out on the streets in Moscow so far um, I, I, it's like we keep saying it's my first World Cup so I don't quite know how the demographics usually shift in shape but that does seem to be it, it seems to be Latin Americans in the majority oh he scored uh, he scored he scored Luka Modric scored as you already know um, <laughs> but, but <laughs> so, you know, just, just as well uh, it was on the pitch because if it was next? in the court you wouldn't remember what happens next listeners tell us tell us like, <laughs> somehow Mail kind of, back next yeah. week. Send, send us your tweets now <laughs> uh, so yeah 2-0 Croatia and they're going to take control of this group uh, yeah. in fact so uh, Croatia play Argentina next uh, Nigeria play Iceland so Iceland-Nigeria now kind of a spicy one because both of those teams will believe that you know they have to win that game if they're going to have a chance of going through because Iceland don't want to go into Croatia for the final game and, and have to win. No, I agree, but also Iceland and Nigeria are probably the two most defensive teams in the group, the, the ones that rest on you know, uh, keeping a solid back line. So to come out and play is going to be difficult. Um, Yes, I, we we don't even know if Nigeria have lost this game yet, though. This is the problem. Uh, we, we are we are we are obviously assuming. 
Um, but there's 18 minutes remaining. And we've got to keep this podcast going for 18 minutes in order for any of this to be relevant. Uh, no, no, because what we, what we can do is we can pause it. We can pause it. Well, we can finish the podcast, and if the comeback happens, then we go back and just re-record this and nobody will ever know. Or we tack it on the end and talk about the amazing Nigeria comeback. Right? It's not... It's not a difficult process. It's a tantalising peek behind the magician's curtain here. Yeah, but you know, we've wall. used that phrase in every single. I think we, peek behind the curtain has been uh, <laughs> a daily occurrence. Moratorium on it. <laughs> it, it. It's like a suburban. It's like a suburban neighbourhood, isn't it? Yeah. Lots of cu- curtain twitching. Anyway, there's one game we oh, haven't done. Tomorrow. Sorry, tomorrow. one game tomorrow. What's the, what? Costa Rica Serbia? Costa Rica Serbia might be the worst game of the first round of. Of games. As somebody who's seen Costa Rica play recently, I'm quite confident that it might be the worst game of the of the first round of group stage games, given the fact that Russia, Saudi Arabia actually had five goals in it and wasn't too bad. Costa Rica really against England the other week, I mean it was I hate to echo all these people who are like, How did the USA not get in the tournament? But I mean, really from that they were a shadow of the 2014 yeah. team. Um, so yeah, I, I, we're we're covering that one off the television tomorrow, aren't we? Or should I not say that on it? No, no. I mean, no, like the fact, the fact is, you know, no newspaper. Uh, I was talking to a sports editor of another newspaper the other day, and he was. I mean, they're covering far fewer games than we are. We we've. I think if anything, we've done too much. We we've blanketed. Um, but you can't cover every game. If anything, you scheduled that too well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if anything, that, that spreadsheet's too full. Uh, but no, Costa Rica-Serbia um, is one that you're just going to have to watch and hope it happens to be one of those weird games where it's an absolute thriller because Costa Rica, you know, they, they were very surprising four years ago. But, you know, most of that was built on a, on a solid defence and stuff. Serbia, interesting side. In terms, I want to see Milinkovic-Savic I watched um, that Lazio Inter game at the end of the season. I'm now slightly obsessed with him. And if he has a big World Cup, I think he might be that sort of the James Rodriguez guy who gets bought for a shed load of money by someone who, you know, they just have to have him. He's young. When you watch him play, he just looks like he's got absolutely everything in his toolbox. Um, So that's about the only reason I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Serbia-Costa Rica. Otherwise, uh, it is two quite good games on Sunday. Um... And then Monday is England Day. You're flying down to Volgograd tomorrow um, to talk to Gareth Southgate. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your vague thoughts on, on England at this juncture? I'm a, I'm a little bit more optimistic about them now than I was at the start of the tournament. Um, I, I I can't remember whether... Did, we, did you talk about like the predictions? I, I, I predicted them second round uh, before the tournament. And I think we've seen enough patchy quality in this tournament so far to suggest that if they can kind of get their mental game together, if they can, you know, just somehow blunder their way through the group, it might not be that bad for them. I, I, yeah, my thing is that they're between the kind of eighth and twelfth best team here. So, you know, basically things, some things go against you. You know, it's a small sample size. You can play three or four games. So you might. I think quarterfinals will be, like, it'll be good. It'll be okay. That'll be that'll be good. Mm. That will. Going out of the round of sixteen is a slight underachievement, and getting to the semis is a big overachievement, probably. Yeah. And and actually, I mean, I'm going to. Um, I mean, a draw against Tunisia is actually not the worst result. It will be portrayed as the worst result, which is why actually they can't draw. But 
they're they are not a bad side at all, Tunisia, and um, they've, they've had a lot of pace. And if England get overconfident or um, you know just just a little bit sloppy or a little bit Iceland, um, Tunisia will happen. My my thing is, uh, I've said this before. I just like the way that Southgate is. I think he's really thought about how he wanted to build this team for a tournament, and he's built a system where they can basically make one tweak to change it from a proactive team against someone like Tunisia to like a reactive team against probably Belgium and yeah. and whoever they play in the second round, be that Colombia or, or Senegal or whoever. Like a reversible jacket. Yes, no, but exactly that. Or or um, what all the volunteers have here, which is zip-off trousers. They zip-off into shorts. Um, something like that. You know, it, it's versatile and you can you can change things around easily. And I can't remember a previous tournament really where England managers have changed formations. I mean, apart from the, the most famous one, Italia 90, except when you're kind of failing to win with 10 minutes to go and then you just uh, chuck it up to Crouchy. Yeah, I, I think on England... Um... I think Southgate's built up so much goodwill that it's it's hard to see how this really is a failure. I suppose going out at the group stage and perhaps losing those first two games would would definitely put his job on the line. But otherwise, it seems like you know there's a lot of confidence in him. I, reports yesterday that the FA want him to stay for a decade, and that's why they want him to do well at this tournament. Um, me personally, I think like Johnny said, they draw that game against Tunisia. The, the first two games are really going to set the tone for the tournament or at least set the narrative you know and it's uh, it sounds an obvious thing to say but like say they draw those and then but, or say they draw and kind of narrowly win one and scrape through with a draw against Belgium for example that's really going to people you know we, we all know how the mood changes in, in England during a World Cup or an international tournament like that and I, I think that could suck some of the goodwill away but I, I just don't see how you know there is a genuine good feeling around the England camp at the minute I think and and Southcott has generated that goodwill and, and I, I think I think he's safe and a, a safe pair of hands and that's why the FA want him to do well you don't need much luck to just I, I if they if they could win 2 or 3-0 that first game I think suddenly everyone around that camp is going to be really positive I think it'll be one of the more convincing wins of the of the group stage so far I guess so it's going to be really interesting to see but I guess we'll have to do the proper England preview tomorrow we'll get Jack Brook on the phone we'll get we'll, try, we'll talk to Miguel after Brazil if he's uh, if he's keen for a chat um, but otherwise pending Nigeria pulling off the great comeback of all time I think that's probably all we're going to talk about tonight actually I have a so oh go on my, a friend of mine uh, just sent me uh, sent me a message uh, and it was said Basically, it's an opinion. Opinion that he that he wanted to kind of wanted me to pick over. Spain's centre backs are shit. Okay, so let, let's discuss that. Um, We'd have to discuss it for long, but you know, his well, his, his, um, his kind of line of thinking was that Ramos has has had a you know he's, he's been in the news, but he's he's kind of you know, not quite as good as everybody says he is, and PK is sort of on the slide, and you know, not not my words. I would accept Spain's centre-backs aren't as good as they used to be, perhaps, as an answer. Um, I think, that, I mean, they're one of the best centre-back pairings probably at the World Cup, still. Mm. Um, what would you say, top five, top three? Mm. Um, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm all for saying Godin and Jimenez are the, are yeah, the best. Um, the way they played the other day, 
uh, and and just the fact that they play together at club level, I think, makes them much greater than just the individual players they are. Obviously, PK and Ramos have played together for years, but um, what does he say? Ramos was always a bit ropey, and PK's massively on the slide. That's exactly what he said. Um, yeah, not really, uh, not really buying that. But that comes from an Italian as well, uh, <laughs> and they're just probably a, a, a little bit bitter um, and not being at the World Cup. Uh, any other r- random controversial opinions you got today? If if you're um, packing Keel's face wash in your in your luggage, make sure you you screw the the cap on. Don't just put the little. Make sure you actually screw it tight. Otherwise, it will go all over your your toiletry bag, and you you'll lose about fifteen pound worth of um of, of face wash. So yeah, Johnny unfortunately had a face wash disaster. Um, a small piece of, again from Culture Corner. You had a fascinating dispatch on on sparkling water yesterday. Today. Um, the, the Moscow Metro map, it may tell you that you're connecting from one station to the other, but it, what it can mean is you have to get out and walk 15 minutes down a dual carriageway to find the, the station that you're supposedly connecting with. Um, so be careful out there because, um, you know, you might have a slightly longer journey than you expect and you might get there late and a little bit sweaty. Uh, so on that note uh, we'll leave you thank you to Johnny for um, for coming to Moscow purely for the podcast um, <laughs> when I mean you're not going to be back in Moscow until until the, the, the second semi-final until the second semi-final which is actually not that long away if you think about it it's about three, three weeks about three weeks we'll, uh, li- we'll all have lived and died several deaths by then um, I will be uh, back in England by that point um, Critch uh, me and you Johnny Mexico tomorrow, um, but we'll we'll dial up Johnny and Jack after the England game, after England and Tunisia. Um, you two can have a little chat, and and I'll edit that in with my with my new skills. So um, thank you again for joining us. As ever, um, all the great stuff on the website um, is you know lots of people are reading it, which is really great. But um, you know, don't get complacent. Keep reading it. Keep sharing it uh, with your friends. Um, if you've been enjoying the podcast please make sure you tell people about it and uh, as ever if you can rate and review it that also helps us find other people via the power of algorithms so um, until tomorrow svazivo uh, which is the Russian word for thank you and I don't know the word for goodbye so I'm just going to say svidanya Today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.